morning, everyone. It's good to be together this morning and good to be around God's Word. Um, we're returning to Jonah again. Um, it seems quite a while since we were in, in Jonah chapter 3. But we'll go to Jonah chapter 4 this morning and um, finish what was really a short series in Jonah. Um, next Sunday morning, we will begin a series in the Beatitudes, um, which will take us up to, to Christmas. So both by means of, of preparation, you could read Matthew 5 to 7, um, but we will focus on, on the Beatitudes and just taking one per week and, and thinking about that. Um, but for now, let, let's turn to Jonah 4 and read God's Word together. So Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? Excuse me. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well? To be angry. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plants? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plants for which you did not labour, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? So as we finish the narrative of Jonah this morning, we finish with another interaction between Jonah and God. And in this 
interaction, we see Jonah's true colours. We see the true reason behind his reluctance from the very beginning. And further in this interaction, God teaches Jonah about evangelism. Not about strategy, but about Jonah's own heart attitude, both towards God and towards others. So this morning we'll we'll simply follow the narrative through to the end, and then we will try to make some application for ourselves. Now chapter 3, if you can remember a few weeks back, we saw mass revival in the city of Nineveh. Jonah brought God's warning of judgment, and the people of Nineveh, right from the greatest to the least, repented, they believed in God, and they changed their evil ways. And chapter 3 finished, if you look at it there, verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And we read straight on in then to chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now surely this was every preacher's dream come true. You bring the word of God, and a whole city repents, they turn to God, and God grants them mercy. But this displeased Jonah exceedingly. Some translations say it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. We, we, and we have had that word evil right through. From the beginning, you may remember the people of Nineveh, their evil came up before God. Then chapter 3, we saw that they turned from their evil way. God withheld judgment from them. And Jonah now calls what God did evil. One writer says what calmed God's wrath, the repentance of the people, kindled Jonah's wrath. See, God and Jonah were on different pages. Well, Jonah was angry and he explains why. Look at verse 2 with me. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a God, a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Now you may remember the last time Jonah spoke to God was in chapter 2. And there Jonah was praising God for showing mercy to him. This time, chapter 4, Jonah is complaining to God for showing mercy to others. And the complaint really boils down to criticising who God is. Jonah is saying, God, I know what you're like. And that's why I never wanted to go to Nineveh in the first place. I knew this is what would happen. I knew that if the people 
repented, that you would forgive them, because God, you are gracious and merciful. You're slow to anger. You're, you're abounding in steadfast love. Now, it's worth remembering again at this point, these Assyrians, these people in the city of Nineveh, they were terrible people. Okay? They were evil. They were immoral. They were unspeakably cruel to their enemies, to women and to children. And Jonah knew all this. He knew all about them. He was disturbed by them. And he knew that they should be punished and receive God's judgment. And so Jonah believed that God was not right in how he had dealt with them. In verse 3, Jonah is pleading to God. He says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better to die than to live. Now here, Jonah presents an ultimatum to God. It seems his thinking is that God would never kill his prophet. So if I give God the choice between me or withholding mercy from Nineveh, well, he's going to choose me, and in turn, he will retract his mercy from Nineveh. Now, these words that Jonah uses to describe God's character, some of you will recognize them. Um, they're words that God spoke to Moses um, to reveal his glory in Exodus 34. They're words that are repeated different times through the Old Testament. And actually, there are some similarities between Jonah and Moses. Now, when God spoke these words to Moses, you may remember Moses had been up on the mountain receiving God's word. The people there were waiting impatiently at the bottom of the mountain. God wasn't working how they wanted him to and when they wanted him to. So the people decided they would make a golden calf and they made it their God. They gave it credit for delivering them from Egypt. And when Moses realized what was going on, he was distraught. And he pleads to God on behalf of the people. And it's his plea that is quite similar to Jonah. In Exodus 32, verse 32, Moses prays, but now, God, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of the book you have written. You can see it's a similar kind of ultimatum that Moses makes with God. But can you also see the difference here? Moses is pleading. He is putting his life on the line for the people's forgiveness. Whereas Jonah... He's pleading. He's putting his life on the line for the people's judgment. Again, we read in Exodus 32, Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn against your people? And he goes on to make this argument to God. He says, why should the Egyptians speak ill of us? He says, God, remember your promise right back to the time of Abraham. So in other words, Moses is pleading to God for the sake of the nations. 
that God's people would be spared because they are the means by which the nations will come to know God and be brought into the people of God. And yet here is Jonah, he's been called and given the very privilege of preaching to the nations, those outside Israel. He is seeing them turn from evil and turn to God. He's experiencing the power of God's mercy. Uh, And what is he pleading here, for the sake of the nations? No. But he's pleading God for my sake, for himself. Withdraw your mercy from the nations. Jonah complains to God. Let's see God's response. We see it there in verse 4. The Lord says to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry? He says, Jonah, you're talking to me here about what is right, Is it right for you to be angry with me? And we wonder, who on earth does Jonah think that he is? Well, Jonah made no answer to the Lord, but he walked off, as he has done before. Verse 5, he walked off east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now perhaps Jonah is, is watching, he's, he's waiting to see what, what God will do. Perhaps he thinks if he, if he waits out the 40 days, the time period given to the people of Nineveh initially, that in that time God will be sure to bring disaster upon Nineveh. And what happens then in the following verses really acts as an object lesson for Jonah. And it shows us too how patient and gracious God is with Jonah. Because as we've seen before, God doesn't write him off, but he comes here alongside Jonah to teach him and to shape his heart more into the heart of God. We read in verse 6, Now the Lord appointed a plant, and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Now we've saw these words God appointed before. The last time was in chapter 1 verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And both times show us that God is clearly in control, not Jonah. And as the fish was there, as God's mercy to Jonah, so the plant acts as God's mercy to Jonah. The hut that Jonah had built himself was obviously not adequate to protect him from the sun. And so the Lord appointed a plant to shade him from his discomfort or his misery. And the meaning here is both physical and spiritual. The plant was appointed to um, protect Jonah from, from the hot sun, but it is also there with the purpose of exposing and changing his bitter heart towards God and the people of Nineveh. And we read that Jonah, he was exceedingly glad because of the plant. 
But verse 7, continue to look with me there. When dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And on top of that, verse 8, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And as a result of God's actions, Jonah wants to die. And the previous time Jonah spoke about dying, I don't think he really wanted to die. I think he just used it as a threat to the Lord. It seems this time that Jonah is so distraught with God's actions towards him that he does, in fact, want to die. Now, can you see the lesson that Jonah is being taught? God showed mercy to Jonah through the plants sprouting up, and Jonah was pleased. He was glad. God removed mercy from Jonah as the plant was eaten, and Jonah was distraught. Jonah is being shown what it is to receive God's mercy and then have it removed. The very thing he wishes on Nineveh. And when he experienced that himself, he was so distraught, he wanted to die. Now from verse 9, God applies the lesson to Jonah. God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah answered, yes. I am right. I am justified in being angry about the plant. And the Lord said, verse 10, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and then perished. Verse 11, Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? God is saying, Jonah, you had pity for a plant that was there to serve your purpose, but you had no control over it. I appointed it. And as God is in control of the plant, so God is in control of salvation. So God is able to act how he wants from his own character. I mean, it was Jonah himself who said salvation belongs to the Lord. Well, it seems he's been quick to forget this. God says, Jonah, you have no right to be angry about what is in my control. You have no right to be angry over who I show mercy to. He says, if you pity this plant and this small withdrawal of mercy, how much more should you not pity the people of Nineveh? People living in spiritual darkness with no one to teach them the word of God. That's what it means by they don't know their right hand from their left. God is pointing out to Jonah, Jonah, if you want me to deal strictly with Nineveh, then I should deal with you in exactly the same strict way. But Jonah, if you want me to treat you with mercy, then you must be prepared to embrace my mercy to others. Now, we don't get a response from Jonah. Um, sadly, we were left not, not knowing if, if he changed his attitude towards the people of Nineveh. 
And I think sadly we're left with a pretty self-centered picture of Jonah just thinking only of himself. But we're left with a compassionate picture of God and wanting to show mercy to others and wanting his prophet to grow in that compassion. We're left with, with Jonah as, as an older brother figure in, in the story of the prodigal son. Just bitter and angry at his younger brother. He deserved nothing more from his father, but yet was welcomed home with open arms. And we're left with God as a, as a father figure from the story of the prodigal, that no matter what his son has done, no matter how much pain and anguish he has caused his father, he is there with open arms for all those who would come to him. We said at the beginning of Jonah that this is a story of God's sovereign mercy. And here we are left knowing that God's mercy always triumphs. And the compassion and the mercy of God that we see here, we come to the Gospels and we see it more clearly in the life of Jesus who is the fullest and clearest revelation of, of who God is and what his character is. The word compassion actually is only ever used of Jesus in the Gospels. And it's, it's a word that, that conveys to us deep inward emotion. Some refer to it as gut-wrenching compassion. A compassion that moves Jesus to act in mercy. And the extent of this compassion, of course, is seen most clearly at the cross, where Jesus was moved by compassion for sinners to act in mercy, dying in place of sinners. You see, Jonah thought that, that God was not just in forgiving sinners. But the only reason God can forgive sinners, either in Jonah's time or now or in any time, the only reason... God can withhold his judgment is because his judgment and wrath came down on Jesus Christ on the cross. So that all who would acknowledge their sin, all who would repent and turn to God, would know his warm, eternal embrace and forgiveness and never need to fear God's punishment again. And so we must say, if you have never repented, if you have never turned to God's May you do that. May you know and experience his powerful mercy in your life. Now for those of us who do know God's mercy, we can learn from Jonah 4. We can strive to have hearts that are more like God's. And so I want to leave a few things with us. The first is this, don't judge. Don't judge. Jonah thought it was his place to decide um, who should be judged by God. That was not Jonah's place in his day, and it is not our place in our day. Listen to what Peter says in, in 2 Peter 3. Now here Peter is, he, he's writing to believers, he's speaking to believers, 
And we spent some time talking about those in their society who are, are following their own sinful desires, who are evil, to use the word from Jonah. They have no time for God, and this is very obvious by their lives. And Peter says that those who reject God, that they're being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So there's a day of judgment coming for those who reject God, and that is right. But listen to what Peter says to the believers in light of this. He says, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some kind of slowness. Now listen to this, but is patient toward you, believers, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. As we look beyond these doors um, and into our society around us, it's not difficult to see those following sinful desires as as Peter talked about. It's not hard to see those who are rejecting God. And perhaps we look even beyond here and we look to the world and perhaps at times we, we think, God, just come and put an end to it all. Perhaps there are even those we look at in our society and in our world and we think to ourselves, well, will you have judgment coming to you. Who do we think we are? Remember what Peter said to the believers? He said, the Lord is patient with you. He says, yes, there are those in the world who are evil, who deserve God's judgment, but don't forget this, believers, the Lord was patient with you. Don't forget you deserve the Lord's judgment to come upon you. But the Lord was patient with you. The Lord showed mercy to you. And so the days you have left, the days we have left today, they're not for wishing judgment to come, but for praying that repentance would come to all. We have been shown great mercy. We are in no place to wish judgment upon anyone. Don't judge. And then show compassion or strive to show compassion. Now here we're we're talking about that gut-wrenching compassion that, that, that moves us from within to act in a way that others would come to know the mercy of God. Again, we think of Jesus Christ who came to this earth as the king over all, the only one who was in fact a position to judge men and women. And yet when he saw the crowds, when he saw the individuals who he could well have judged, he had compassion on them. 
And for us who understand so well what it is to battle with a sinful heart, for those of us who understand what it is to be lost, to be without Christ and with no hope in the world, surely we can only look at others in that same place with compassion. Perhaps when we look at those struggling with different kinds of addictions, surely our first thought is not, well, it's their fault, but we're moved inside with compassion. Perhaps we see a crowd in hoodies. Surely our first thought is not, there's a bunch of thugs, but we're moved inside with compassion. Perhaps we look at the high flyers and those with big salaries. Surely our first thought is not they're so materialistic and far driven. But our guts are wrenching with compassion. Perhaps we look at others who have different morals and different lifestyle choices. Perhaps we come across a pride parade in town. Surely our first thought is not for our guts to turn in disgust, but that our guts would wrench with compassion. Perhaps where there are those who have hurt us personally and significantly, perhaps even in our own families, surely our first thought is not that they deserve judgment but that gut-wrenching compassion. How can we do this? How can we get to this place in our lives? Well, because God has treated us with compassion and mercy. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Who are we? Who are we to treat anyone differently to how we ourselves have been treated? If we don't have compassion, we'll never move to action. Don't judge. Have compassion. And see the opportunities around us. The story is told, you may have heard it, of a, a shoe company sending salesmen to West Africa to, to sell shoes and to determine the potential um, market for their products. And after six months, the first salesman, he reported back to the head office and he said, the situation is hopeless and no one here wears any shoes and bring me home immediately. The second salesman, he was sent out after this and also spent six months. And he then reported back um, to the office with a completely different report. He said, the situation is fantastic. No one wears any shoes. Send all the shoes you can find. You see, Jonah just couldn't see beyond the sin of the people. And again, as we look beyond our doors this morning, perhaps think into our workplaces. You know, we can see people, we can complain about their sin and evil, we can groan that there'll never be any change, we can despair at the hopelessness around us. 
how we can look beyond our doors and we can see an exciting opportunity. We can see people without number who need the mercy of God. We can look at each individual and see the opportunity for the mercy of God to triumph. So may God change us from within. May he increase his compassion within us. And may he move us to action. Let's pray together. Loving God, we thank you for your compassion and mercy towards us, um, hopeless and helpless sinners. But may we never forget how you have treated us. God, in light of that, may we not look to anyone, regardless of their lifestyle, their choices, their behaviour, whatever. May we never look at anyone and wish judgment upon them. But may we long that all would repent and turn to you to know the same mercy that we ourselves have received. Father, we long that you would increase that compassion that Christ had, that you would increase that within our hearts and lives. God, that we could look on anyone and be moved from within. That in turn would move us to action to bring the mercy of God to others. Father, change us, we pray, for your own sake and glory. Amen.